So the last thing that I made with my butcher box shipment was aloo chicken, and it turned out really well. One of my favorite things is to get the shipment and then open up the New York Times cooking app and see what I want to create over the next few weeks. It helps my creative cooking chops, and both my wife and I really enjoy it. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price, plus they have exclusive member deals, and they also have their own recipes, although I am preferential to the New York Times app, but that's just me. And you can sign up today at ButcherBox.com conspirituality and get their special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. So for that year, you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. If you're a fan of workplace comedies like The Office or satire like The Onion, then I have a podcast that I know you'll love. It's called Mega. Mega is an improvised satire from the staff of a fictional mega church. That's the premise. Each week, the hosts, Holly Laurent and Greg Hess, are joined by guests, since people like Cecily Strong or Jen Hatmaker, to portray characters inside the colorful world of Twin Hills Community Church, which they describe as a mega church with a tiny family feel. The result is a sharp-witted and hilarious look into the world of commercialized religion using humor to cope with the frightening amount of power that church and religion have. So I very much recommend you checking out Mega's episodes, like the one with Saturday Night Live's Cecily Strong, playing Cece String, a hilarious character who's fresh out of jail, uh, and also comedian Jason Mansukas. You may find yourself dying of laughter and perhaps inspired to take an improv class yourself. Mega is able to keep you laughing as you think and reflect about the world we live in. You can find Mega on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Do you want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to Conspirituality. And that's totally okay. I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show is a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, so don't just ignore my suggestion to listen to this one like you probably do with your other friends who tell you to listen to podcasts. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes to scientists, political activists, mobsters, even hostage negotiators. And Harbinger has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-before-heard stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you more informed, a critical thinker, and to better operate 
in today's world. I was on his show. In preparation, I listened to a bunch of episodes. He's just really good at what he does. Like episode 880 features Ian Bremmer, you know, the top-notch political scientist. And the topic is dealing with the world in disarray. But then you have episodes like his skeptical Sunday format. Episode 882 looked at homeopathy. But he has other episodes on Ayurveda and also the popular pseudoscience of analyzing body language. There isn't a better podcast to listen to casually or seriously to expand your worldview. He's also got a strangely relatable weekly segment called Feedback Friday, where Jordan covers advice on everything from escaping a cult or a psycho family situation to relationships and networking and even to asking for a raise. So point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, he's easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversation, a few laughs, and even actionable advice that you can directly use to improve your life. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to Conspirituality. I'm Derek Barris. I'm Julian Walker. Matthew is in the bunker today. He is working on next week's episode, which will be a solo episode focused on Elon Musk's bedside table and other accoutrements. <laughs> so <laughs> you should look forward to that. Uh, as for us, we are on Instagram at ConspiriPod. I'm going to stop saying it's our backup account because right now that is our account. So that's where you can find us and we'll see if that ever changes. We're also all independently on Twitter still at the moment. We'll see. I just saw that some of their code base is gone. So who knows how long that'll last. I don't think you've jumped on Mastodon yet, have you, Julian? I have not, but I'm interested to see what happens when Elon finds out about his episode. <laughs> so Matthew and I over at Mastodon, I'm on Post News, which I'm actually quite enjoying, although it's small at this time. Anyway, we are also on Patreon, of course, at patreon.com slash conspirituality, where for $5 a month, you can support us and get access to our Monday bonus episodes. And we have other tiers where you can enjoy bonus videos and live streams as well. We are also now on Apple Podcasts for Apple Podcast listeners. If you just want our bonus episodes on Mondays, you can click a button there and get access to them for $5 a month. And I also want to let you know that our book is available for pre-order. It is coming out in June. We're going to be doing some fun stuff and some episodes focused on that in the coming months. There was a lot we had to cut from it, so we're going to use that material to talk about. But if you go to conspirituality.net, you can find the pre-order link and help the robots give us a boost in the algorithm as we lead up to the publication date. Yeah, we'd really appreciate that. Conspirituality 133, grifts that keep on taking with Kevin Klatt. 
Now, we're going to take you on a journey way, way back, listeners. Cast your mind to the beginning of this podcast, shortly after something called Plandemic dropped, when wellness influencers immediately began selling supposed immune-supporting supplements. That trend has only intensified in recent months, with grifters like Peter McCullough and Mickey Willis getting in on the supplement game. In part three of his trilogy on supplements, Derek will talk today with dietitian Kevin Klatt about what supplements are actually good for, as well as how this unregulated industry is monetizing fears around future viruses. They also discuss the wild west of neurotropics, supposed brain-enhancing substances that don't scare you about pandemics, but instead make you believe that with just a little more optimization, you'll be the most perfect you possible until another product drop that is, to discuss the world of lack that other influencers capitalize on, we'll discuss the annual A-Fest, a TED-style wellness gathering for millionaires that banks on you never actually feeling content in your life, but instead chasing a promise of unachievable eternal betterment. So as you mentioned, Julian, this episode concludes a trilogy on supplements that I've been focusing on. A few weeks ago, I looked at a JAMA study that found that of the top 30 supplements sold on Amazon, most don't contain what they claim to or include other ingredients not listed on the packaging. That was a bonus episode. Uh, then on the main feed, we had Mallory DeMille come on to discuss parasite cleanses during episode 131, which are actually sold as supplements and which we preempted by looking at supplement grifts on social media. And in a little while, you'll hear my conversation with dietitian Kevin Klatt, who often works with supplements in his work, but he also breaks down supplement pseudoscience on social media. And I highly suggest you follow him. His links to Instagram and Twitter are in the show notes. Now, considering this giant world of conspirituality that we cover, why am I so interested in supplements? Well, to me, they represent everything I loathe about wellness grifters, a sort of back-to-nature fallacy that they promote, their inability to discuss the nuances of modern medicine, and instead using the cloak of Western or allopathic medicine as a catch-all term that they never actually define, but which actually has a definition. And then finally, they use that cloak to shield their lack of nuance and thrust you into their downline, where they can monetarily capitalize you on you thanks to this entirely unregulated market. And it really is. The FDA has no teeth. They can send letters recommending that you drop products but that's about it. Can I just say right here that I, I'm still, still to this day, I talk to people that I've known for decades and we have the conversation where they say, you know, I don't think I'm going to get the booster because I mean, I just don't trust those companies. Those, and I'm, I'm quoting literally from a conversation I had two days ago. Uh, and then immediately the pivot to, but I still take this, this, and this supplement because I know which companies are the really good ones. And I'm always just like, wow, this is, it's, it's not just a personal failure. It's a, it's a subculture thing. It's a demographic thing. I feel like there's a lot of people, um, who, who've just been swimming in this water where, you know, quote unquote, natural supplements 
are the real deal, even though, you know, all of the facts that you just said obtain, uh, and, and you still have this conspiratorial mistrust of medical science. And one thing I'm sure you've noticed this as well is, and actually Mallory has done a great job with her recent work on Healy, which isn't a supplement, but kind of falls into mm-hmm. that same category where she shows these videos where you can just see the reps reading the marketing copy without mm. actually knowing what they're saying. And then they try to justify it somehow and they fall back on terms like it'll just boost your energy or, or whatever they fall back on. And it's the same thing with supplements. Like, yeah. Why do you trust these companies? How Do you know the owners? Do you know the products and where they're actually sourced, not the marketing copy? That's a question I always have. Yeah, those Healy videos are amazing because you so often will see these reps have that moment where they're like, oh, I don't actually know how to justify anything I just said. And they kind of pause and then in come the the buzzwords, the quantum and the cellular level <laughs> and, you know, the purification and the 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 electrical force field of healing that's going to get activated. I do feel a quantum biology episode forthcoming. I know that's your specialty and I do really <laughs> think we need to, because I read the Tao of Physics in, in college, right? That kind of kicked it off. Yes. Uh, but but Fritjof Capra, at least was actually a physicist and he tried to make some connections, yeah. but, but that has been lost over the decades. So I, I feel like we should, we should definitely look at that. A deep dive into the roots of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the Tao of physics is definitely uh, in the mix. Yeah. So uh, one example of what you were just saying, right? So let's look at Liver King, who we've covered before. I, I'm actually working on a chapter on him in my forthcoming book on male body dysmorphia because he's such a perfect caricature besides his character of this whole industry. And he made $100 million alongside Paul Saladino, who he runs one of his companies with, uh, selling liver and testicle supplements with all sorts of unproven claims. But then it comes out that he's spending $12,000 a month on steroids. And it's just evidence of how much money you can make with a good marketing scheme. Of course, his scheme was that he says he never uses steroids, even after being called up by Rogan, which he just used as further marketing collateral to say he doesn't use them. Mm -hmm. And then his latest pivot is just monstrous, to be honest, by pinning it on depression and suicide uh, that he's trying to help people. I had to use steroids so as to save all the men from killing themselves. <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't seen it, that's actually what he said. L- legit. And, you know, he probably will lose some revenue, but mm-hmm. I'm going to guess he's going to stay in business for some time. And, you know, well, look, before we get into this, as I, you mentioned off the top, we are going to talk about the benefits of supplements with Kevin Klatt. I'm not anti-supplements. There are very legitimate uses for supplementation. I take them myself. And then second, my focus is not on people who take supplements. Because as you mentioned about the disenchantment with our for-profit medical system in America, a lot of people are. And that's very legitimate reason for looking elsewhere. I don't always agree with the ways that they do it. But my focus here is really on people who monetize supplements through dishonest, hype, and bogus health claims. Right. So the whole idea that I've been saying since the beginning of this podcast, watch what they say, then watch what they sell, that came into my head after watching anti-vaxxers decry a COVID-19 vaccine that hadn't even been developed yet. But then on the other hand, we're selling you bottles of vitamin C or quercetin, neither of which have been shown to help with COVID, but they're still actually selling the same ingredients. 
And this all gets to the heart of the supplement myth. I watch these influencers promote natural living through organic, wholesome diets, which they deem to be medicine, yet they turn around and try to sell you these supplements. So if a healthy diet is the only medicine you need, your body wouldn't actually require supplementation. But, and this is where the problem lies, it's that something extra that bothers me. Your immune system will be extra protected from the next pandemic, as Mickey Willis claims in the marketing copy for his forthcoming supplement line. Your brain will work extra better with this nootropic. We live in a time of so much excess, yet we still always feel a little bit behind. And that unregulated, untested supplements market, which predominantly relies on anecdotal hearsay, is currently a $151 billion industry, and it's predicted to grow at nearly 9% per year over the next decade. So I'm going to guess that most of that is not for the clinically tested supplementation as someone like Kevin Klatt prescribes. You know, just in terms of all of the themes that we cover on this podcast, it's like, this is nothing new. The appeal of snake oil claims, the appeal of the charismatic uh, influencer who's willing to get up on the, the ramshackle stage and say, ah, gather around, I've got the thing, the cure for what ails you. This is going to make you more better in all of these different ways. That's not new. What's new is the, the, the delivery system and how things can can proliferate through um, very appealing digital forms of marketing that people, you know, we, it's, it's like we come into the world vulnerable to these kinds of shticks, these kinds of scams. And this is the latest incarnation, but it's nothing new. Yeah, the loneliness of this seems to be, and we might have to ask Maui to do this, is the TikTok Reiki healers. You know, there's something about Reiki, you know, people, I can imagine people getting better benefit. You're in a massage therapy room. You're with someone else. They're playing soothing music. You can kind of feel them touching you at certain times. Like I can get that that might be healing. But then to translate that through your phone and pretend that that's doing anything for you uh, is, is one of the saddest examples of what you just mentioned. And I feel similarly when I watch some of these people trying to sell supplements in kind of the same way. Yeah. On that Reiki thing, just really quickly, you know, um, there is something entirely natural and even beautiful happening in, in the interpersonal connection of that space. That's, that's the magic. The magic is not that you've been attuned in a course that you probably paid too much for to, to being, you know, a channel for the Reiki energy that now you're a master level one, two or three at. That's actually not it. That's the bait and switch. There is something very real that's happening. And so if you've made that, mistake of where you put the magic, then the idea that that magic energy can come through your phone is plausible, but it's, you know, you're already far away from, from, I think any real benefit. And that is sad. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about something now that has to do with actual in-person camaraderie that's being developed. Um, but it really hinges on this idea of something extra always being on the way. And that's what came to mind when I was watching a recent Vice documentary. And I shared it with you, Julian. Mm -hmm. uh, it's entitled Inside the Wellness Festival for Millionaires. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought going in, it would be a takedown of this annual invite-only A-Fest what a name. But the video actually ended up being more of a promo. There was some criticism, but I was actually a little depressed by the overall 
tone of the video. Uh, I'm going to highlight one particular moment in a clip soon, but I was wondering what your overall thoughts were on that video. I mean, it's just, it's a big it's a big mess. There's so much going on, right? There's so many different claims being made. There's this this smorgasbord of everything from like here's how to walk and present yourself more confidently so that you'll have success in the world to like here's how you can gain all the knowledge in the world by just putting your hand on different books and then you have the the <laughs> presenter who's doing the kind of wide-eyed babe in the woods like I I thought I would go and find out if I could become and it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek if I could become more successful and, and, and beautiful and wealthy or something. But yeah, it's it's sort of all over the place and it, they probably leaned a little bit more into entertainment value than actual kind of you know, critique and analysis. Yeah, there's no critiquing going on here, uh, <laughs> include in the video or it seems in this company. Here's a little history for you. A-Fest is produced by an online educational platform called Mind Valley, which probably deserves its own episode. Um, they're basically what happens if TED meets Hay House, sponsored by Onnit Nootropics. Um, <laughs> here's a brief synopsis. Mind Valley was co-founded by Kuala Lumpur native Vishen Lakaini in 2002. So he was actually pretty early promoting uh, online meditation and personal growth. Uh, in 2010, he co-founded an e-commerce platform called DealMates, which offered discounts on fashion and beauty products in collaboration with Mime Valley. So there's definitely a, a big marketing edge here to the company. Uh, then he started up a site actually called Blinklist, which still exists, and it summarizes books in 15 minutes or less. Uh, you don't touch them, you can actually <laughs> listen to them, but they're kind of like cliff notes, basically. For the less enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> so reducing complex knowledge into soundbites seems to be consistent in Vision's overall business model. Uh, just for an example, here are a few courses that are currently on Mind Valley. The M-Word or meditation with Emily Fletcher. Uh, this course promises to awaken incredible peak performance, boundless energy and vitality, and even superhuman creativity and intuition. Yeah, because it's not it's not learning to meditate and be quiet with your own thoughts and pay attention to your own sort of psychological patterns and reactions. That's not the real magic. It's something extra. You're going to be superhuman and have all of this vitality and peak performance. Oh, yeah, these people are going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. You couldn't just say meditation with Emily Fletcher. It wouldn't sell. So it yeah. has to be that something extra at this point. Uh, you have the longevity blueprint with Ben Greenfield, who I recently covered. Uh, I'm told that it will completely transform how I perceive and experience aging on this <laughs> online program. Uh, there's life visioning mastery with Michael Beckwith, who oh. I know you've covered. Um, you're going to learn, I know you're going to sign up for this now, that the <laughs> universe is constantly on your side and it's always working for you to realize your unique purpose. Sure. There's courses by Sadhguru, Ken Wilbur, uh, Alan Watts, uh, his son, <laughs> credit to his son, Mark. Mark has done a great job with his estate overall. I will question moving into my Valley. I've, I've loved a lot of what Mark has done over the decades now. I, I used to talk to him almost 20 years ago. Mm. So he's really taken the archives somewhere, which I appreciate, but uh, you know, my Valley, uh, there's even Sam is a Dora, uh, which is still up, even though she's no longer with us. Um, oh, wow. So that, that's up there now. Yeah. In each case, practices that we regularly broker in, like yoga, meditation, and breath work, uh, are being marketed as being completely accessible 
now, thanks to Mind Valley mm. and the best that you can possibly find on the internet, thanks to that extra you're being promised. So it's like, hey, this is for everyone, but we're going to give you more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of pseudoscience sprinkled in, in the courses. And this mostly has to do with millionaires preaching vision exercises to make you rich and successful. There's, there's a whole bunch of that on the, on the site. Uh, vision himself leads mental focusing and breathwork courses. He's also written two Tim Ferriss style self-help books. Uh, one is called the Buddha and the badass. And I bring that up because in the vice documentary, he says that the Buddha would be a CEO today, which very much fits into his worldview. <laughs> Julian, would you mind reading the synopsis of this book for me? The Buddha is the archetype of the spiritual master, the person who can live in this world, but also move with an ease and grace and flow that comes from inner awareness and alignment. The badass is the archetype of the change maker. This is the person who's out there creating change, building, coding, writing, inventing, leading. The badass represents the benevolent disruptor, the person challenging the norms so we can be better as a species. Yeah, I'll I'll get to a little about Buddhism in the end here, but let's look at Mind Valley. I have tracked them over the last year because they've been popping up in my algorithm. Uh, It's a very milk toast, meaningless content machine and overall. Um, And I'm not against online educational platforms at all. Uh, Some are very useful. I use LinkedIn Learning, for example, to learn Figma courses and things like that. I'm sure there's some personal development I might find interesting. Mm -hmm. But let's look at a little bit of the promo material from Mindvalley's website. At Mindvalley, learning is a lifelong adventure. Our teachers and students tell us there's a certain magic in everything we do. Mind Valley provides the education that regular schools forgot, and most of those words are capitalized. (laughs) Being human, capital B, capital H, is more than just what our broken education system makes it out to be. We teach the world the art of truly living extraordinary, fulfilling happy lives. Thank you for pointing out the title case. I actually didn't tell you to, but you, you found that. And that's actually part of it, right? Is yeah. the capital letter. I'm surprised some of this isn't in all caps, but mm-hmm. <laughs> there we are. But put a pin in one thing that you just read. Our education system is broken, but here at Valley, we're the solution. Mm-hmm. And this sounds pretty on point for the allopathic hating supplement salesman that I was just talking about a few minutes ago. They rush in to fill a gap where actual problems do exist. The thing is, what they're selling isn't actually a solution. So for Vision, that trend is boosted by his annual A-Fest, which is an expensive and exclusive festival hosted in Jordan. And so I have to point out that it's pretty rich that Mind Valley pitches itself as teaching the world the art of truly living extraordinary, fulfilling, happy lives while hosting a conference in a country in which women need permission from a male guardian to marry for the first time, in which women are not allowed to travel abroad with their children, and in which, I kid you not, if a man kills his wife for committing adultery, an amended 2017 law gives them a reduced sentence from normal laws regarding murder. So if they killed someone else in a bar fight, there would be one sentence. But if they kill their wife who happened to be seen or or done something with another man, well, you'll get less of a sentence that way. 
And you can also be jailed for being critical of the king, the government, Islam, Christianity, or anything deemed defamation by the authorities. I mean, this could be an example of your blatant intolerance, Derek, that you find any of this uh, <laughs> problematic. I mean, who knows? Maybe from an enlightened perspective, this is the ideal way to live your best life, as long as you're not a woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's actually, it's interesting because there's a moment in the Vice documentary early on where Vishen walks by who he calls a princess. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's a Jordanian mm-hmm. princess or what, but it seems like that's included in there. And he, he, you know, he has a moment of like thanking her and all of this. And I'm just like, it's one of those bait and switches that just really frustrates me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very fitting right now going on with the World Cup and Cutter, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 very much about it's it's that old observation that uh, the the people who benefit the most from self help uh, products and services are the people offering them. <laughs> it's about yes. it's about the money they can yes. make, and so I'm sure it's it's in Jordan because of the financial incentives that are there for him. And finances are going to play into everything, as you're going to hear in the clip, mm-hmm. because at the heart of the Mind Valley philosophy, according to Vision, the more money you make, the more value you contribute to the world. I mean, seriously, this is it. You're about to hear him talk in a bit of a tangent near the end of the video. So this clip starts when the host, Sidney Lima, notes that Vishen seems to be a guru-type figure in this particular world, with so many attendees seeking his attention. Firstly, I'm, I don't like that word, I guru. Think. And out of 400 people over here, only 20 have asked me for a picture. So it's okay. not true that everyone wants to get a picture with me. And it is absolutely not true that everybody wants a piece of me, but what I create is a container where people want a piece of each other. Normally in wellness, you kind of, no one wants to talk about like the money or the business side of things. And I feel like here, those two worlds kind of come together. People think self-improvement is just about being healthy or being happy. It's not. Self-improvement is the secret to making money. Money should motivate us because money is a measure of the value that you're contributing to the world, right? But money shouldn't be the only motivator. Why is the wellness industry so popular right now? I think it's because we're understanding that the world in the way it's run from the past generation, it's pretty messed up. Millions of people work to produce crap-tastic products to induce other human beings to put these products in our body at the expense of our health and the health of our planet. So at our next event, we are completely banning all American bullshit drinks, all crap-tastic products. We're going to war against Coca-Cola if we can. If you're talented and you work for Coca-Cola, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. You hate Or McDonald's. No, no, no. I don't hate anyone. Okay. But I have a righteous anger against the system. Okay. And if you don't have a righteous anger, you don't create change. Mind Valley people and Aphestus are called change makers, not wellness enthusiasts. If the Buddha was alive today, the Buddha wouldn't just be meditating under a Bodhi tree. The Buddha would be an activist. The Buddha would be the CEO of a company creating change. The Buddha would be a badass. It's about bliss, but it's also about the fist. It's about bliss, but it's also about the fist. Oh my God. And, and, and that, that, that very quick kind of seamless transition from the Buddha would be an activist, which, you know, we might be able to get on board with, to he would be a CEO. He would be a change maker. He would be doing all these things. And I mean, to go back to, to what we said before, what, what you were referencing about the, um, you know, we create the problem or, or we, or we tap into 
a problem that is that people do have generalized dissatisfaction with like the education system and then sell you something that's going to be extra. And, and this is not new, right? The, the, in, in the history of fundamentalist religion and cultic organizations, there's always this sense of like the, the mainstream world is, is lying to you. They're not telling you the whole story. They've left out all of these important pieces that now we're going to fill you in on. And that whole bit about education, not really teaching people. I've, I've heard that for years in new age circles. And I've heard that for years in circles of people who reject medical science, right? That there's the, the reason why all of these alternative approaches or these uh, magical beliefs are be, being quote unquote suppressed is that the mainstream world has a conspiracy against them. And you can see how easily that then transitions into these unproven supplements are really like the natural cure for what ails you. And you can see how that then lays the foundation for what he's actually expressing in that really outrageous soundbite a conspiratorial attitude that is rooted in, I'm the renegade, I'm the truth teller, I can say that you should be fucking ashamed of yourself if you work for Coca-Cola, I can say that at our next one, we're not, at our next event, we're not going to have any of these American craptastic products, well guess what, we're going to have a bunch of other products that we've just signed a, a deal with someone for, right, that we're going to be selling you. That was one of the most disheartening things, you know, I'm looking here and there's over 80,000 Coca-Cola employees around the world. Mm. And imagine if you are a delivery driver for them and you have a family to feed and you just come across this video and hear that. Like putting shame on people who are trying to do a job. And this is separate from the problems of the products they produce mm -hmm. or the very real marketing issues, especially in underdeveloped countries that they've been accused of. That You're right, that is all very real. But to then just take it as one thing and and... And like the hundred people that attend your event not drinking Coke for a few days is going to make an impact in their bottom line. Yeah. The cure does not eat does not match the ailment in this sense, but it's just everything that I look at. And now, unfortunately, my Instagram feed is filled with vision videos because of the mm. research I was doing. <laughs> so I stopped to listen to them, which of course means I'm going to hear more of them. But everything yeah. he produces, it, it reminds me of Luke's story. Yeah. Right. In, in the sense that, oh, this is the most amazing thing I use every day. Like how many products do you use every day? Yeah, who has <laughs> time? Optimize? <laughs> who has time for all of this in your routine? You know, it, it just the fact that you said that I did a lot of research on Gaia at some point. And so just about every YouTube video I open these days, I get a guy I add <sighs> up front. And the one that's running lately is of this guy sitting behind, you know, a cosmic background. And he says, this practice that you're about to learn has never been taught outside of the inner circle of X, you know, and it's like, Oh God, here we go. You're going to teach me how to like follow my breath or something or, or to like visualize. And it's, but you're going to tell me that it's from some ancient esoteric secret source that only now through a contract with Gaia can be revealed <laughs> to the world. I'm not going to lie. All the subscription services that I pay for the $15 a month to not have ads on YouTube is the money best spent <laughs> from my account every month because right. I already ha I already get fed the videos from the algorithm when I'm doing mm -hmm. research, but at mm -hmm. least I don't have to sit through those yeah. <laughs> those ads. So there's so much to unpack in this clip. It was a uh, sort of mashup of a longer interview that they put together, and as I said, it was mostly a promo video of the conference, but they were a little more critical of Vision for good reason. Right after this clip, mm -hmm. they show you how he 
kind of treats his handler, which is not flattering in any way. So they do kind of stick it to him a little, but then they also promote Mind Valley, which is weird. And to be honest, I'm not even mad at his little fire festival for the wealthy. Um, they happen all the time in many different guises, but it's this guise that he's presenting, that your spiritual worth is dependent on the amount of money you have and can contribute to the world. That's so kind of boring and yet continually troublesome. You know, and I know he tried to say, you know, it's not just about money after saying the number one thing is money. So that's, that's something, another technique that they use. Um, but related to this topic, the name of my Substack is Trickle Down Wellness for this exact reason. It's this persistent notion that spirituality is a top-down endeavor, and that in traditional cult speak, it's this idea that the guru has something extra that they can bestow to the peons in exchange for your faith or your service or most often for your money. Or we can look at the pseudo-spiritual Silicon Valley culture that Vision has been a part of for decades. There's this spiritual exchange between the amount of money you bring to the table and the elevated rank you deserve because of your bank account. Sam Bankman Freed, right? We're mm -hmm. looking at that right now. And it's this idea that you can just tithe to the world, even if the charitable deductions you market are really just tax write-offs that ultimately benefit you. And I get that feeling watching this. But Overall, I'm not going to try to out-Buddha you, Vishen, because we all have our translations of old philosophies. We can probably both agree that Buddha was, in fact, a deaf political leader that had to constantly deal with authority figures to be able to run his growing communes in Deer Park and elsewhere. He certainly wasn't only a solitary man meditating under a bow tree, but let's also remember that his monks were required to beg for alms on a daily basis and that his communities weren't really operating on a surplus. And we know this from many history books from that period. Would he be CEO today? Maybe. I mean, I take no issue with people making money to use money to benefit others, and that does actually exist in our world. What I take issue with is pretending that making tons of money automatically leads to altruism mm -hmm. or that you're using Buddhist imagery on one hand while everything your platform produces ultimately relies on people believing they're not enough and need more to become enough, which only means that when they reach that stage, more still is going to be required. Because <laughs> if I remember correctly, Buddhism isn't about constantly grasping for more but about finding contentment wherever you are. Dude, Buddhism is the antidote to the very thing that makes people want what this guy is selling. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, sometimes when I say that, people say, then you're not going to be motivated to do things. And that's also not true. But I understand Buddhism as a practice for not being so caught up in constantly striving that you forget to pause and look around and recall that sometimes a tree is just a tree or a mountain is just a mountain or a grifter is just a grifter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's about paying attention to this underlying mechanism that is always seeking to grasp or to push away or to be caught up in this exact activity 
this like the, it's it's really t- peeling back the curtain and saying, "Hey, notice how we have this tendency in our minds to always feel dissatisfied and to always be chasing what we think is going to make us feel safe or, you know, perfectly gratified or or special and that that let's let's actually work with that in this very intimate, messy, like like bittersweet sort of way. Like that the 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 actual path of Buddhism is the antithesis to all of this. Yes, yeah. So how do you assess actual benefits from marketing hype? It's a question that'll persist as long as we do this podcast, and it's not easy. I'm sure there are some Mind Valley courses that I would enjoy and learn from, as I said earlier. Just as I open this segment with, there are supplements that I take that benefit the condition that I use them for. What I will say is that you should be wary when someone identifies a problem that they can't possibly grasp the totality of, be it big pharma or the educational system, and propose that they found the ultimate solution and they're selling it to you. You can see the red flags all over the Mind Valley site. So let's listen to Kevin Klatt discuss other red flags you should watch out for that attempt to open your wallet while delivering little to no benefit. Kevin Klatt is a nutrition researcher and registered dietitian who provides individualized medical nutrition therapy and health coaching to patients and clients. As a registered dietitian focused on teledietetics, we'll define that during our conversation, (laughs) Dr. Klatt's clinical expertise lies primarily in medical nutrition management of cardiometabolic diseases and nutrition for a healthy pregnancy, taking a client-centered approach that focuses on empowering individuals to better understand the evidence in nutrition and set goals that are science-backed and enjoyable. So in addition to his clinical and counseling work, Dr. Klatt actively engages in molecular and human nutrition research, as well as maintaining editorial roles at top nutrition journalists and being an active member of professional nutrition societies. Dr. Klatt completed his doctoral work in nutrition at Cornell University and his dietetic training at the National Institutes of Health, and now currently is a researcher at the Baylor College of Medicine, and he does not have any Mind Valley courses that I'm aware of. So shout out to Dr. Danielle Bellardo for introducing me to Kevin and his work. Uh, as I mentioned, you should follow him on social media. You'll find his links in the show notes because he does such a good job at dispelling nutrition and supplement myths. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't have a microphone to record with, so the audio isn't the best in this conversation, but I think what he says outweighs any minor audio issues. Kevin, thank you for taking some time out to talk to Conspirituality today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a privilege. You were introduced to me by our mutual friend, Danielle Bellardo. I wanted to do more work on supplements, and she said, you have to talk to Kevin Klatt. So <laughs> that's how I found you. And we've been going back and forth on Twitter DMs. And then preparing for this interview, we talked on email, and you had mentioned up front that you had some disclosures about your industry ties. So I'd love to just get those out of the way so we can dive into the uh, actual heart of the conversation. So just, I mean, so listeners now, and I mean, this isn't anything I feel like it's hiding, but just more transparent. I've worked with supplement companies, both in the context of research. And I, I like to think that I work with folks that I think are, are good players in the field, or at least have good intentions and, and are funding scientific questions that are of interest. But part of my um, dissertation thesis related to studying 
choline requirements during pregnancy um, and uh, some of the makers of choline. So I don't really work with direct sellers of supplements, but more the manufacturers of them. Um, so they funded, uh, there's uh, the people who make choline for both the animal agriculture feed industry and then also the choline that would eventually make it into a supplement that you buy funded some of our work on choline during pregnancy. Um, and I've done some consulting, just like a one-off job things here and there, just a specific scientific question that a company wanted a literature review on and, and sort of might take um, both on the basic sciences, but on the clinical literature that is present and then also needed and then kind of turning over just to review and truly have no idea what they do with it after that. Sort of a relatively independent, not like a, not really marketing or selling any specific supplement. All right. Thank you for that. And the goal of a lot of the work is to be critical of things, but I take supplements for chronic canker sores, for example, and I've never th said that supplements are bad, but I, my personal feeling is that they are a subject of grift in the wellness industry. So let's start there. Let's start, let's put a big picture on that question. So you're a registered dietitian. Yeah. When you're on social media and you use social media very well, uh, what do you feel like when you see people who call themselves nutritionists or they provide nutrition advice who are not registered dietitians or they have not gone to school for nutrition? Yeah, I have pretty mixed feelings about that. I think you'll see a lot of dietitians have a bit of a knee-jerk like, oh, if they're not an RD, then they're not an expert. And I think so this is specific to the U.S. So there's like registered dietitians, but then there's also registered nutritionists in other places like the U.K., and we really have a chasm between there's there's registered dietitian or there's next to nothing. There are a few state laws for um, some certified nutrition specialists, but it's uh, something that you don't really know somebody's credential uh, or what their clinical training is like if they call themselves a nutritionist. You have to kind of do a deep deep dive and see what their background is and it's up to the consumer to figure out. And I, I don't really like the uh, broad brushstroke of if they're not an RD, they're not qualified. Dietitians really have a lot of expertise in medical nutrition therapy, so providing their recommendations and also providing actual like feeding recommendations and full meal plans and also managing uh, tube feeding and, and crunch roll nutrition for individuals with disease. Um, I don't think that only a registered dietitian is qualified to give just general nutrition advice. And unfortunately, there's not a protected title for just a, a well-trained nutritionist that needs some sort of certification. And this is especially touchy when you consider that becoming a dietitian is like, it's an overwhelmingly white female field. It's a pretty privileged position to be in if you can afford to become a dietitian because it is not cheap to become one. Currently, there's still a pre-internship year and or you have to pay tuition to do an extra year beyond your undergrad to get the clinical uh, hours done. It, it can be anywhere from like six months to 10 months uh, to, or six months to a year, but it is not easy to become an RD. It is not. And so I really don't like saying like, if they're not an RD, don't listen to them. But for the consumer, I think you really just have to, the discretion is up to you and you really have to do a deep dive and, and figure out whether somebody is really trained to be talking about what they're talking about. Now, your focus is on teledietetics. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so I finished my RD credential in 2019 and got settled on a postdoc afterwards to do research, tried to do some more inpatient stuff, and a pandemic hit the world. 
Um, and so fortunately, I, after I finished my RD credential, just started seeing patients via telehealth, which was a very small thing when I started. And that blew up in the context of the pandemic. And so, and it's still quite active. And so I see patients, primarily folks with cardiometabolic disease, also some GI, like gastrointestinal conditions, um, via the internet. And so a lot of nutrition counseling and nutrition assessment, not all of it, but a lot of it can be done by telehealth. And so it's sort of just set up an hour-long visit or so with 30 minutes to an hour-long visit with people. Do what you would do otherwise in an office setting as a registered dietitian, but over the internet. There's a lot of state laws to navigate and understanding who what, who you have a license to see and not see. It's sort of a patchwork. There's not a lot of federal regulation of the dietitian credential and practice, so it's very state-based. Um, so there's, uh, it's, it opens up your ability to see a good number more patients, but... Um, there's about 14 states without formal licensure that I could technically see patients through. I consult for a couple of different practices, but the main one is where Dr. Bellardo works. Um, so I still go into a medical chart and write notes and see, read other providers' notes and see their meds and all their anthropometrics and things like that. So a lot of what we would do in an inpatient or outpatient setting more attached to a big traditional hospital center we can do with uh, at a private practice and provide services to a larger number of people besides who's just nearby locally that can travel to you. You said gastrointestinal issues. Is leaky gut a real thing? Because that's something I've seen often on social media. (laughs) Uh, The academic word for this is intestinal permeability. And it's no, you can use some sugars that have differential permeability to the intestinal wall and study uh, them across different disease states. And at least within a study comparing people with and without some sort of gastrointestinal or other condition. You can see changes in the permeability, like the rate at which these sugars pass the gastrointestinal lining, which is really supposed to be a barrier and pretty effective at cutting some of them out. And so you can argue from that there's changes in the permeability, but it's a lot of times we have no idea is the intestinal permeability a consequence of a disease state? Because somebody has a really inflamed intestinal barrier that becomes quote unquote leaky or more permeable. Could, it's like likely secondary to the disease, but it may affect progression. And there's all sorts of debates about what it's causal. But the sort of like very simple version you see on the internet of like you eat gluten and your intestine becomes permeable <laughs> and then you get all the autoimmune diseases is like obviously quite overselling things. And right now we don't have a therapy that specifically reverses that intestinal permeability that we can see that that explicitly, you know, is is the cause of XYZ symptoms. So until we have something that can like target it and reverse that uniquely, we have a hard time saying that like the intestinal permeability itself is driving a disease. So there's misinformation on the internet. Okay, know, got it. So, we- so, <laughs> so, so 101 level, what is the purpose of supplementation? I think it's actually helpful to think about this in the context of like the history of humanity and and the supplementation in the u.s like when you start thinking about like it being regulated and just having the chemical knowledge or the, the chemistry knowledge to isolate and or synthesize individual compounds and then put them in a pill and, and claim that they're going to treat some sort of disease only goes back like just over a hundred years or so and so as we discovered the vitamins unsurprisingly american culture somebody was trying to sell it immediately and claim that it has all these sorts of benefits um and there's this uh, i'll send you a paper by john swan who's a historian but he has a nice piece on detailing from like before the development of the fda through the development of the fda how like the science the government industry groups, medical groups, the public all have this sort of 
interestingly intertwined history of as science progressed, consumers wanted to buy things, industries wanted to sell things, medical authorities wanted to regulate them, and it kind of is a large dance up until 1996 when we get um, Deche, which we can talk about a bit more. Yeah, supplementation really, it can be anything. We have a current, its goal really is to supplement. So, you know, as it says, it's usually referring to supplementing the diet or supplementing oral intake. And it's intended typically to fill a gap, or at least that's how it really started. So you'd ideally have a deficiency in something or an inadequacy of an intake of a nutrient or compound in the diet that you would then supplement back. And that's still a very, I think, legitimate form of medicine. I mean, there's supplements are used all the time. It can be after bariatric surgery, there's bariatric multivitamins. And for individuals with gastrointestinal conditions and impaired absorption, we often supplement with larger doses uh, than you might get in the diet. It spirals downhill pretty quickly. A lot of what (laughs) you see on the internet, it's like you can supplement. And this is reflected in like modern definitions of what supplements are. It's it can be vitamins, it can be minerals, it can be botanical extracts, it can be herbs. Uh, if you go back into the early 1900s, some like kind of quacky weight loss cures were like desiccated thyroid to give people like a form of pilled thyroid hormone that they claimed would help with weight loss. So it can be you know, amino acids, anything really. And it can, it's not supposed to be with the intention of like curing disease or preventing disease apart from like deficiency syndromes. But that obviously industry and marketers uh, toe up to that line and kind of put a toe over quite often. And the insinuation that supplements are a cure-all for all sorts of things are definitely there. But in its original form, it's meant to just like fill a gap, basically. So what are the some of the more egregious insults that you've seen from wellness influencers peddling supplements? Oh, man. <laughs> I think the most egregious things come from when anything is targeted, even if it's not intentionally uh, and, you know, you can argue whether influencers would even know this kind of stuff, but if it unintentionally targets a really protected population. So if you ever work with cancer patients, I mean, I th- I've seen cancer patients come in with uh, more than 40 supplements that they're currently on. And it's just sort of a shotgun approach because all of them have been claimed at some point in the Internet to address, prevent, cure, whatever for cancer And those are the really desperate situations. So I find a lot of it, I guess, just equally egregious because my my clinical training was at the National Institutes of Health Clinical Center where people tend to really only get there if they're on some sort of experimental therapy. So it's folks who are kind of, there's a lot of of hope, I guess, that that something's going to finally pan out after a lot of disappointment. When I look at all of these ads, even stuff that seems really inconsequential, like claiming something's anti-inflammatory, you know that people with actual conditions of like severe inflammation run out they spend tons of money on all of this stuff and so man it's i'm avoiding your original question because it all my brain runs off to the most nefarious way it could be interpreted for most of the things i see (laughs) and i know a lot of it's intended to be harmless and people don't really care that there's not strong randomized controlled trial data for it but you think people, I get a lot of pushback when I say like, oh, these uh, food sensitivity tests are, are really hawking a lot of BS. And people will be like, well, what's the harm? It just tells people to like change up their diet a bit and they eat more fruits and vegetables sometimes. And it's like, yeah, well, until you've had a mom who has a kid with a rare condition who was sold one of these things by an alternative practitioner and has been buying a second set of groceries for two years that's stressing her, 
the FL then collapses in your arms crying because you've told her this is not medically indicated because she thought she would harm her child if she did anything different than what she was told. That's the nefarious side of a lot of the things that you don't ever see presented on the internet that clinical dietitians will tell you, like, and other practitioners will tell you tons and tons of stories about. So what makes an influencer a quick buck on the internet often uh, is ends up being in our clinics and it's, it's a big problem and a very sad story. Yeah. Well, you can curse on this podcast, by the oh, way, so don't hold back. If that's, <laughs> 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 so you brought up harm. Can you go through some of the actual dangers with over-the-counter supplements, maybe some that you've seen or that you know of? I would say the harms have changed over the years, and this is something to always appreciate um a lot of people immediately think of like some of the most common harms out there from herbal extracts green tea you see this with turmeric sometimes that they are uh, hepatotoxic so you'll have some they're, they're linked in like medical record databases to acute liver injury um and you see this there's probably once a year at least so and so herbal extract is linked to this to, to some sort of bad outcome for the liver and that's like really linked to we think the intended component in the supplement, but you can find there's a, a lot of the attempts to regulate supplements have come on the heels of manufacturing issues. So there was like a tryptophan induced syndrome, like a myalgia and then some sort of inflammatory condition coming from it. And it turned out to be because of good man. This is back in the late eighties. There was a good manufacturing protocols at the time weren't really up to where they needed to be. And it seemed like a, a new type of bacteria was specifically growing on tryptophan and thrived on it. And then it was put, when it was isolated, put into supplements, people were taking a big dose of bacteria with it. And so there's lots of ways that supplements could cause harm and have caused harm. I think there were several deaths and like thousands of cases related to that tryptophan-induced syndrome. And then a lot of supplements, you kind of they get a bad rap because they often uh, will have unintended ingredients in there. I mean, when you look sometimes at like consumer labs and all will run third-party testing, it's, it's often on like smaller, more obscure brands, but they'll find like, oh, this has steroids in it. Like, what the heck? Um, and so you can, it's kind of a mixed bag because when you hear about harm from supplements, it's like, well, you'd need to submit it for kind of chemistry testing. And this is one of the critiques of regulations of supplements is they don't really need to be proven safe and effective before they're put on the marketplace. Um, they're supposed to be like accepted as safe and a lot of supplements are just kind of grandfathered in if they're not a novel dietary ingredient. But the specific formulation, you don't need to have phase one, two, three trials with the early phase being safety testing. Some of the bigger companies can afford to do um, some third-party independent testing, but then a lot of them don't. And so you have really no idea what ends up in that, that bottle at the end of the day. And yeah, that always kills me when I see the influencers who are criticizing pharmaceutical companies who should be criticized for a lot of things, but testing is not one of them. Uh, although they fudge the data as well, and there, there are a lot of problems over there, but then they will sell these supplements that have never been tested. I, the word supplement is almost be, can become unhelpful sometimes because um, it's like 
you know, a vitamin B12 supplement, I'm not sure that every formulation of it needs to be tested. There's been enough tests of a cyanocobalamin that pretty bioavailable. We know a lot about it. But when you get into the like herbal, botanical extracts, anti-inflammatory claim, gut health claims, all this kind of stuff that comes with it, where it's really crossing the line and edging on like, am I a drug or am I a supplement? Because it's pretty clearly intended to be taken to at least manage some sort of chronic condition. Um, I, I definitely think that sort of thing needs to be studied a whole lot more than it is. And that's not to give a free pass to vitamins and minerals, but there just tends to be a much more robust evidence base on calcium carbonate anyway. And we, we know a whole lot more about it than we know about, you know, even things like turmeric. And that's the other thing, I guess, that comes with a lot of this. You don't really know, like turmeric contains a lot of, it's, it's not just like one single thing. There is a lot of curcuminoid compounds that could technically end up in that. And so even uh, supplements have like tend to have a lot of batch to batch or a lot to lot variability in what bioactives actually end up in there. One of the things I think you'll see, this is you know a good example of one that always kills me is when people are like statins are evil and the devil, and then they're selling like red rice yeast extracts, which just have <laughs> statin in them, but it's like you know the, the variability from lot to lot is incredible. And you can just you're not really sure that you're getting what you're getting. We've really so far been talking about actual supplementation, but then there's the other side of it in the biohacking circles, right? Because they're sold as supplements, but the whole thing is to make you better than in some way. So there's almost this other enhancement industry, which goes against supplementation. And yet I think because they can sell it under the guise of supplementation that they take advantage of it that way. Yeah, biohacking. Some people also, you know, the word nutraceutical kind of covers this kind of space as well, where they like toe this line of like, I want to be perceived as a medicine, but regulated as a supplement. Plant sterols and stanols, there's a big industry around this to lower cholesterol levels, but they want to stay in that nutraceutical space, which is this very convenient, I'm in the middle, I don't have to do phase one, two, three testing and be regulated as a drug because I want to be sold over the counter. And then I also uh, want to be able to claim you know, high efficacy for reducing chronic disease risk factors with the clear implication I'm trying to prevent disease. And not that I don't think there should be some sort of in the middle space, but uh, it definitely has to have some regulation around it, in my opinion, to make sure that you're getting what you think you're getting. Right. I want to ask you about some supplements. I sent you a list of a few that are popular. But before that, what are some clinically proven supplements for targeted nutritional purposes? And obviously, this is not medical advice, but what are some that you've come across that actually do work as intended? The plant sterols and stanols are one where like, they definitely do lower cholesterol. Most of what you're like a USP certified, it's a United States Pharmacopeia certified uh, vitamin or mineral that's sold. They tend to be pretty good and pretty, specifically uh, larger brands that are more medically reputable. Are they intended to, you know, fulfill some sort of deficiency or inadequacy? I mean, if you have, you know, are on a vegan diet, it's recommended you get a vitamin B12 supplement. Like that's a totally valid thing here. Uh, it's not really recommended anymore, but you also do get supplements that sort of, they're nutrients, but they act like drugs. And so like niacin, which is um, vitamin B3, very large doses of it were used for a while for triglyceride lowering. Uh, I think it's kind of fallen out of favor now just due to other drugs being better and also some uh, you know, the questionable whether it actually lowered cardiovascular events. It did, it did lower triglycerides, but whether it lowered cardiovascular events was 
is pretty questionable. So you'll find supplements that you know have been recommended for that purpose. You have uh, you know bariatric multivitamins after a bariatric surgery. There's just many different disease states, I guess you could say, where uh, nutritional requirements might be a little higher, often because of increased losses of the nutrient or a requirement, uh, a greater requirement to, to absorb the same amount that a person without that disease state would absorb. You need like a higher dose or a different formulation. Prenatal vitamins would be a great example of all of this. But this is all stuff where it's like, it's like medically very sanctioned. I think supplements come into a pretty gray period where like fish oil and turmeric have like, eh, okay, evidence, maybe evidence for like helping a little bit with pain with somebody with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and it's one of those things that is, it's not really in medical guidelines yet. You know, you can PubMed warrior your way and find a couple trials. It's really small trials that suggest modest improvements. Um, and I don't want to like discount the potential, I think they deserve more research, but you'll, there's a lot of stuff that sits in this space that is not greenlit by any guidelines panels because there are not large, double-blind, randomized control trials that actually show meaningful changes and meaningful endpoints um, and really work out the optimal dosing for these sorts of things. But I think we've increasingly seen at least discussion of supplements across guideline panels and you know at least arguments for providers to talk about them sensitively with their patients while also noting that like there's nowhere near the level of evidence to support them like there is drugs obviously the industry the influencer marketplace doesn't want to target it to like the very few people that would benefit from this in the grand scheme of society with the also one of the biggest problems I think on the internet is that magnanimous claims of benefits are attached to it. And there'll be like an anecdote stating that. And then you look at the actual data and you're like, Oh, this is like a one point improvement on a pain scale. And you know, there's some variation on that. Patients can try it out if they want, uh, as long as it's kind of safe and medically guided. But the, the way that we talk about the benefits of it are just so at odds with what the data actually shows. So a lot of what I feel like I do with being a dietitian and doing counseling is like reorienting both priorities, but also expectations of, yeah, you can go for that if you want, but like that post you saw that said, it, you know, this thing is amazing. It's like, it's actually like, when you explain the data to people, people grasp it really well. And I think it's unfortunate to have the time to uh, sit down and explain things. I know a lot of providers up there probably have five to 10 minutes at most with a patient to talk about all the things they need to talk to and, it can often, I think that leads people to be a little bit just dismissive of supplements and whether they work or not. But when you have time to dig into the data and then time to talk about it with folks, I think you can reorient expectations pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the challenge, right? You can make headway with a lot of people one-on-one, but when you're talking about the scale of the internet, it just seems impossible. I want to ask you about, as I said, specific supplements, but let's start with your feelings on juice cleanses, because this is one that just has persisted for decades. Yeah. And persisted for different reasons. I mean, every (laughs) juices are like a concentrated form of fruits or vegetables. And so they contain more of the bioactives and people will attach amazing claims to those people will you know attach claims to the more fasting element where you're only eating 300 calories a day and i mean as a somebody who does research and trials my immediate thought of is like how would i design a trial to show that juice is like a juice fast is uniquely beneficial i'm not even sure like what would the comparator even be there's not 
like somebody just eating normally because then it's just caloric restriction. I could probably do it with just sugar water too and see most of the same benefits. So there's not like a targeted hypothesis that comes out from most of the claims that is readily testable. Um, I'm not sure an IRB would really even approve it because it's like what you're going to have people drink juice for three <laughs> days and like go into like a negative nitrogen balance and mobilize some lean body mass. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, I don't see a lot of benefit from it personally. I mean, if people want to trial like intermittent fasting and juice is satiates them for whatever and helps them get through that. I mean, as long as they don't have some sort of glucoregulatory issue like type 2 diabetes where they're at risk of hypoglycemia, like our bodies are relatively robust. Uh, some people prefer fasting as approach, and I would definitely, if it was a patient of mine, I'd be like, yeah, put like a scoop of whey protein powder or something into that juice so that you don't get zero protein for three days, which is what most of those things kind of advocate for. I tried the master cleanse almost two decades ago, and I suffer from a condition called hangry. Uh, yeah. And on, on day four of that cleanse, I was re- it ended. It was not pretty. I think the skill of many of these influencers is just learning a number of multisyllabic words that they throw at people and just to sound intelligent. That's really sometimes the heart of what I see them getting at. Oh, yeah. I work in, uh, you know, I do transgenic animal experiments so I, and, you know, a lot of diet stuff and other compounds. And I, my, my whole point is to tease out, like, whether how some sort of exposure influences some sort of outcome and the, the cellular and molecular mediators of those processes. And I'm like, man, I should just give up and go become an Instagram influencer because they already <laughs> did all the experiments, apparently, and know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll look forward to your new career. But for, for this career, I, I, I want to talk about Herbalife because on our immediate wellness circle, yoga spaces, that's not really something that comes into it. That's very much a different target community, but they are huge. They're a huge company. They have a range of quote unquote weight loss enhancers. Uh, and I found the marketing copy for their trademark Prolessa. And it, I, I love this because it says the key benefits are conjugated linoleic acid helps decrease body fat. It's not FDA approved. Uh, a unique emulsion of palm and oat oils help to reduce calorie intake and provide a feeling of fullness, not FDA approved. And then clinically tested ingredients and stimulant free, they list under benefits when those aren't actually benefits. They're just talking about what the is in the product. But all of that stuff I just threw at you, when you see something like this, what's your reaction? Oh, it's sort of like I would, I'm I'm almost glad that they don't want to partner with researchers because I would hate running that trial being like Herbalife product versus whatever else. It's intentionally decontextualizing uh, the data, what the efficacy of all those products are to sell and relying on people's everything from internalized fat phobia to just like concerns about adiposity and chronic disease to sell a product that has no clinical data showing that it's going to meaningfully in the long run reduce your adiposity. And so, you know, you, you mentioned conjugated linoleic acid, um, where, which is just a uh, bacterial product of linoleic acid that we eat in our diet normally. And so you can get really small amounts of it from uh, eating like dairy fat, for example, because the foregut fermentation uh, creates a lot of these conjugated acids that end up into the milk. But the amounts are so low, but we, do, we can synthesize these or purify them and put them into pills and then we've done supplement trial people have done supplement trials with conjugated linoleic acids and like you know i think the meta-analyses show that you lose about two pounds 
and that some a good bit of that is out of paucity. But like, I don't think anybody's buying these products thinking like, yeah, I'm trying to lose two more pounds. Like, <laughs> you can step on the scale in the morning and in the afternoon if you want to lose two pounds. But like, it, it, the, again, the, the clinical efficacy of these things is not really. The FDA is not going to approve that for any sort of uh, fantastical weight loss claim anytime soon. And the European Food Safety Authority is much more uh, rigorous about these things, and they take a lot of industry proposals for health claims. Um, and so the CLA has failed consistently to have an approved health claim by EFSA, largely because the weight loss is underwhelming. It's really heterogeneous. And then it's also, there's some, uh, some of the inflammatory markers in the blood go up in some of the studies. So we're not even sure if it's like a good thing overall, but the weight loss from it in general, it's like, I don't know. It's not, it's not that cheap. I've looked at like, you know, getting a, a three month supply of it is extra 40 bucks or something you're going to spend and you don't really know again the quality of what you're getting so i've never recommended it to a patient who wants to lose weight okay how about activated charcoal that's one of my favorites yeah this is another one where like charcoal is like a legit medical thing and like uh, acute poisoning i think this goes back to the detox thing a little bit too it's like well, if it works in acute poisonings and if you truly believe that we just live in an environment full of like so many toxins, toxins that nobody ever really seems to be able to name, um, <laughs> you know, that we or, or if they do, there's definitely no evidence that like charcoal inhibits their absorption or affects their clearance in the body. But it just kind of became trendy. Um, Rena Raphael, I don't know if you know her. She recently had a book. Oh, she was on our podcast a few weeks ago. Oh, right. I have listened yeah. to that. I don't know. I should have known this. <laughs> she has the gospel of wellness. And I, I love her analogy that like, if you look at all of these things the way we look at fashion trends, it all makes so much more sense. And so like, there's no like rigorous evidence all of a sudden that like everybody needs to be eating putting charcoal and everything. Um, and it's like, it's everywhere now. It's beyond the dietetic sphere. It's in toothpaste. And I've seen lots of dentist people, you know, de- science-based dentistry people being like, please don't put these micro particles and grind them up against your teeth. And, and you know, the same with derm people being like, there's no evidence that charcoal is really doing a whole bunch of anything for your skin. Like I, I think of it mainly as a distraction. And so like, you know, we could make a meaningful dietary change. You know, a lot of the food industry, I, I can tell you from, you know, I'm not going to name companies, but I have friends who work in the industry and like they're sitting in a room being like, let's reduce our sodium profile of our entire food blend. And the marketing team is like, let's add charcoal. And like, it is a battle of the RDs internally from the marketing bros. And often the marketing folks went out because you don't really get a big commercial boost from silently reducing your sodium content in your soup for 5% out of the year. But if you add charcoal to whatever your product is, you're, you're likely to at least have a short-term gain where those sales explode. Yeah, yeah. I have a personal vendetta against Bulletproof. Um, that's just, <laughs> I, out of all the grifts, it's just one of the worst, and it's it's uh, such nonsense. But uh, MCT oil is one that I come across often. How do you feel about that? We use MCT oil clinically quite a bit. So MCTs are, you know, most of the fat you're eating in the diet is 12 carbons or longer, and so MCTs, the clinical versions of them are uh, typically a purified 8-carbon and 10-carbon um, saturated fat. And so they don't require that they are absorbed. They're water-soluble. And so they're absorbed much more like a water-soluble thing is where it goes through the portal vein and hits the liver immediately. And they get oxidized really quickly and there's heat generated in the process. But it's still a source of calories. I mean, we literally use them for 
people who struggle to uh, gain weight that have some sort of fat malabsorption, that this is a way to provide some additional calories in uh, without just giving like a massive carbohydrate load, which, you know, at some point there becomes a, that becomes a stress on the pancreas. So there are very legit medical uses, but there are studies where if you compare an MCT oil to a longer chain fat, there is a more of that thermogenic heat response in the MCT oil. And so um, if you overfeed it, you won't gain as much weight as the longer chain ones. But of course, influencers have turned that into it's fat burning. You can't gain weight eating it. And that has turned into 500 calorie coffees are now somehow fat burning tools, which is just, like, <laughs> I mean, mystifying to everybody in academic nutrition. And, and some of the folks who have done this work have like, I think uh, Marie Pierre St. Ong is on Twitter and has been like kind of, uh, I've seen a couple tweets of sort of like, uh, this is not what my trial was intended to show, but it's been, if you do, uh, this gets back again to like everything from internalized fat phobia to just like concerns about adiposity and chronic disease. If you say fat burning, it just immediately sells and people assume it's anti-diabetogenic and all these sorts of things um, and, and just a magical cure-all for all chronic cardiometabolic illnesses and like that's not what fat burning means to a scientist and, and maybe this is a way for scientists to learn to choose our uh, terminology a little bit more but um, you'll have greater fat oxidation if you have a greater percentage of your diet coming from those MCTs likely depending on what the comparator group is to lose adipose you need to have like a net fat net negative fat balance. So the amount of fat you're burning is less than the fat that's coming in. And that's how we infer that fat is lost. Even then, we don't know like what depot it's coming from. It could be coming from all sorts of different adipose depots or the lipid droplets and muscle. And so we have these like blunt force tools to say more fat has been burned. And the research nuance of it gets left out and it gets turned into, oh, like you're just blasting through pounds and pounds of pure adipose tissue that you can visually see on your stomach uh, and you're going to have a beach body tomorrow. And that's unfortunately not what MCT oil is, is doing for folks. By the time this episode with you runs, we'll have featured Aubrey Gordon from Maintenance Phase podcast on and fat phobia will be a big topic then. But in your own in your own practice, how much of that do you see? Um, I try to now screen patients to reduce the likelihood that I, I take very few patients who want to lose weight. Dietary, medical nutrition therapy, really intensive lifestyle interventions tends to produce, on average, about 5 to 10% weight loss per year. You know, there's a, a new lines like GLP-1 receptor agonist drugs that help to really dramatically increase that weight loss. And so I work with a few patients that are willing to take those that have a legitimate medical need where, like, their med medical, medically supervised weight loss is indicated. But I have had the, like, I just went through menopause. I have slightly more like fat I can see around my stomach and I'm trying to go on a crash diet at age 62 to bust through this. And I just, it's a very disappointing call for everybody when you do telehealth where you're like, yeah, like diet really isn't going to affect that. And it's going to compromise your bone and your lean body mass. And just, I, I really, I guess, try to avoid aesthetic based medical or nutrition counseling because it's not medical nutrition. And I think those those conversations are intensely hard to have. I feel bad charging somebody money for something when they show up like clearly like looking for aesthetics based weight loss advice, and uh, it's just not what I'm I'm there to provide. And so I, I think unfortunately fat phobia is 
everywhere in and out of medicine. And it's been very well documented. And in the public, it's still aesthetics and, and fat phobia are major drivers of what everybody thinks about when it comes to nutrition. And when you talk to most dietitians, like um, a lot of us, a huge proportion of dietitians are employed inpatient where malnutrition, even somebody with a lot of adipose tissue is still our primary concern in that short sort of short-term setting. So there's a huge disconnect between often what actual nutrition professionals are, are really trying to address and then what the public thinks is, you know, what dietitians do on a daily basis. We really don't run around doing like, you know, medical fasting all the time and we really don't enjoy it. We recently uh, featured a and ripped influencer named Ben Greenfield, who ah, yes. uh, has a, a range of supplements that he pimps. And he's a very anti-donut, eat my protein bar and you'll never be addicted again guy. And he was promoting one called Thermal Factor, which I sent you. Did you get a chance to look at that one? Lots of claims here of balancing blood sugar and reducing appetite and increasing energy. And so there it looks like they are adding in L-tyrosine to increase the appetite suppressing abilities of Advantra Z, which I genuinely have no idea what that is. Uh, <laughs> I don't see, like, a lot of these things are, are challenging because they, there's some proprietary blend, so it's claiming it's a thermogenic formula. Again, this is leading to the assumption that you're actually going to, to lose weight from it because um, it uses the word thermogenic, and they, they specifically claim it's going to um, successfully address major issues associated with weight gain. But I didn't see uh, a lot of like the ingredients actually listed other than this citrus arontium extract from the dried immature fruit of the bitter orange. <laughs> One thing you see in almost all these things, it's a fancy exotic sounding thing. Um, and this often will, it's you know, sold to Americans and made to seem like, Oh, the secrets of the Amazon or whatever. And that's always been a, a shtick, which is kind of problematic on its own. And you can often find like a mouse study where if you put this stuff in at like 5% of the weight of the mouse chow, like they don't gain as much reason, weight for reasons we don't know, or they have better blood glucose tolerance. A huge proportion of those things never pan out in humans. And there's a lot of reasons why mice and humans don't translate all that well. I, I don't, there's not like rigorous data to support any of the things here. Thermogenic formulas, there are often stimulants. And so this is claiming without the dangerous use of stimulants. Um, and it, typically the non-stimulant versions of weight loss um, stuff is like green tea extract, which has been studied to death and has like depending on the study and the meta-analysis that you look at and what their inclusion criteria is, there's like a maybe small increase in energy expenditure that doesn't really go in along with that thermogenic thing, but it doesn't really translate to much meaningful weight loss at the end of the day. And, you know, being extremely kind, it might be like the best study says maybe you'll lose five pounds and most of the data doesn't even say that. So the stimulant weight loss is like, they usually tend to have tons of caffeine in it, or I think the old school version everybody knows of is ephedra, but the FDA banned that for the cardiovascular, and they pulled it from the market for some rare cardiovascular side effects. Almost everything commercial that is sold aimed at weight loss is uh, on its own, not magical. You know, they can be used in combination with like a more intensive lifestyle program. And there's some meal replacement products and things like that that at least have data in the short term can help to reduce weight. Uh, but again, it's very marginal. It's like anywhere from 2 to 10% sort of thing with depending on the intensity of the intervention and how long it goes for. Uh, and the moment you kind of stop 
doing any of these things very intensely. There's just a natural kind of return to body weight. Maybe not be the entire the entirety of what you lost, but quite often it's a, a large portion of it. I think we all have heard of these like crash dieting cycles where people lose five pounds and then gain it back over the next few years and then lose 10 pounds. And then it's unfortunately, this is where I'm glad to see with like the GLP-1 receptor agonist drug class and whatnot that we're taking adiposity related chronic diseases a bit more seriously. We've been in like a very scammy and extremely moralized take on this for decades now of products that don't work but are you know, attached to magnanimous claims and then sort of even from the medical side just well, you gotta try harder like i meet some old school dietitians and the way they talk about weight loss i'm like oh this is so 1990s purity culture thank you so much for listening to conspirituality podcast we'll see you next time